podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to the Minefield Podcast from Anfield Index Pro, your podcast where we talk all things psychology and Liverpool Football Club. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, the Robin to my Batman, Mr. Andrew Vincent. Andrew, how are you doing today? Well, I I'm uh, I got my notepad out, and I'm happy to have Tim here with us because I'm building a team building program right now. So I'm hoping to get some ideas, and just you know, like uh, taking an hour off from the transfer Discord, I think <laughs> is a good idea for anyone right now. It's it's absolute mayhem in there. Um, so you know, maybe by the time this goes live, Romeo Lavia will have been signed, and if not, then we'll have to do a minefield special episode just of like. Uh, helping the good people of the transfer discord because it's it's wild in there it's good fun though absolutely it is wild it's the wild west even gags is getting sucked into it and he's uh pressing in slow mode just to slow things down a bit um but as you alluded to we are joined by tim and tim is one of the subscribers to anfield index and uh, tim posed a question to us around team dynamics in the minefield discord so we thought who better to talk to about it than Tim himself? So, Tim, welcome to the Mindful Podcast. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing great. Great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. I'm a big fan of this podcast, so uh, so it's really cool to actually be on it. Slightly nervous, I should uh, I should uh, say as well. Well, you, you know, you're, you're speaking to two highly, highly qualified people here. So it's understandable that you would be nervous. Um, no, I jest, I jest. Myself and Andrew literally muddle along every single time. So we try and make it sound very professional, but we're not really. So, um, yeah, you, you can sit back and relax. But I suppose, Tim, for people who don't know you or, or don't know much about you, what is your background? And talk to me about your background in relation to working with teams and building teams and, and what prompted you to kind of start asking questions around that in relation to Liverpool Football Club? Absolutely. Uh, well, so first of all, I'm, of course, a Liverpool supporter and football fan, uh, but I'm also a father of two. And uh, the reason why I'm so interested in this topic is that I've been in different manager roles over the last, what is it, seven, eight years? Uh, especially in different startups that have been growing a lot. So a big part of that has been a lot of recruitment, a lot of new people coming in, a lot of building teams, uh, teams that are changing, cultures that are changing. And like, I think, uh, the, the transfer window for me, uh, poses a lot of different questions and a lot of different thoughts than maybe the, the transfer chats, uh, people. 
Yeah. And I, I think that's a really, really good place to start because I suppose for a lot of people working in business or in, in organizations, there, there's a lot of time and, and effort put into how to build a team and what's important in building a team and, and a culture as well. But it's something like I know myself and Andrew talk a lot about the Liverpool culture, but it's very different to try and build it with footballers from the perspective of how it's viewed by fans. So I suppose we're all used to the FIFA and the football manager way of working where, you know, okay, I want to buy these 15 players. So I'm going to buy these 15 players and they're just going to work out perfectly fine. And uh, that's the way things work. And we're going to win the league and we're going to spend 15 quid and that's that's how it works. But as we well know, that's not how life works in general. And I suppose looking at your your background, kind of talk to us more about your experience of the challenges that you've seen in building teams, especially with startups, because in some ways, if we look at it, the Liverpool culture and the Liverpool team dynamic is very new right now, where a lot of the old guard, a lot of the strong voices have gone and we're now left with a a little bit of a vacuum on how that can be filled and maybe what some of the concerns are that you would have. Yeah, that's a great question. Okay, let me just uh, think about a few pieces on this. So, so yeah, I think the first part with uh, with like the kind of void of uh, or no strong leader or no strong culture. That's that's a really interesting one, and I think kind of comparing a more set environment. Yeah, I think it's it's a lot easier for uh, for behaviors to, uh, to kind of set etc. Uh, but I think what's the kind of the my thinking around that is very much similar to the discourse that you guys been talking about and what we're kind of saying about the, the new captains, et cetera, that this voice also leaves a lot of room for individuals to step up. And I think that goes not only on a manager level, but, but also just different individuals uh, that want to kind of take, take that step. But I think, I think the really interesting part though is that you, you need to facilitate that. Like it doesn't come automatically. There are some people that will speak up or uh, take their spot, whatever. Uh, like the people that you would maybe call natural leaders or maybe just called loud and annoying. Uh, but I think as a, as a manager and, and kind of what I would be thinking if I was kind of in a, in a clop shoes, um, uh, is then that, okay, how do I facilitate this? How do I make sure that people feel that they can actually uh, raise their voice and start taking a place and start forming a culture? And, and like in, in a lot of sense, that's just like actually being themselves and not trying to pose as something else. And to me, that's, that first part, that first step, that comes a lot around just creating that sense of uh, safety, stability, like everyone knows the kind of the ground rules of things. But also that you start letting on that, like, it's okay to be yourself. It's okay to fail. All those kind of things that, that allows people to, to start acting a bit more naturally. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up a really important point because I suppose in any of the organizations I've dealt with, um, a lot of the time people will try and be the person they think they should be. But actually the more natural and, and, and the more, 
we as our ourselves is um, lifted up and, and, and seen as good enough, the, actually the more effective we become and the more flexibility we have then to grow within that organization helps the whole team in a lot of cases. And I suppose, Andrew, I'm going to bring you in. Like, So you've been involved in dealing with groups and and in developing group dynamics and you're you're actually like you said putting together a program right now do you want to talk to us a little bit about that experience that you've had and how you think Klopp can pull in um, his previous experience to I suppose rebuild this group dynamic are you that person who has everything the coolest merch and those must have fan threads well Over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. I think like a really similar starting point to what the two of you are working with and just like how do you create an environment where people can really be themselves and um, feel valued for being themselves. So like that's usually the foundational principle that like I work from is like teams work best when everyone has, when everyone is valued by the group for something they value about themselves. So it's, you have this overarching group goal, which in a sport of course is winning or performance. And then within that, um, what you want is for individuals to, feel like the group knows what they're good at and cares about what they're good at. And that's going to be highly motivating for someone. And so like, if you think about times when issues pop up, right, it's either often someone doesn't feel valued by the group at all, or maybe someone's valued by the group, but what they're valued by the group for doesn't match with something that they care about. And so let's say that Andy Robertson this year might actually be a really good example, right? So if he if you were to break down his game, the offensive side of his game has often been really primary. Um, but this year he might be asked to sit back in like that kind of left-sided center back role on, in a back three. Um, and with that being the case, if he doesn't value that about his game, that might be a person who we would expect to see not necessarily struggle, but like maybe not have the same level of motivation because if he's doing something that he doesn't care about, like, then it's not going to resonate with him in the same way. It's not, he's not going to feel like he's getting the best out of himself, that he's seen by the group, that sort of thing. So there's ways around that, but like kind of just as a starting spot, people are going to perform best when they feel valued for something they also care about with themselves. And so in team building programs that I do, usually I'm doing some combination of like self-awareness work. So I think if someone says to you, like, what do you value about yourself? immediately you might not know, right? Like you kind of have to think about it or like, what are the kinds of roles that make you feel um, like you're getting the best out of yourself? And so usually there's a combination of individual work where I need to do the work to understand what motivates me. When do I feel best about myself? What are the things I really think I bring? And then the secondary part of how do I 
share that with the group and then create a climate where like the group can start to understand what different people see about themselves. And now we're kind of piecing these together in favor of the bigger picture role. I think, um, you know, in terms of what can Klopp do, you know, that kind of work would be super useful. And I think especially when there's a lot of turnover, it gives people a chance to, you don't need to totally reinvent yourself, but also, you know, we're talking about a group that was together for five years. And so people change, right? And one of the things that can happen is when you have a group together, that's the same group for a long time is like, um, especially if that group works really well, that can be good, but it doesn't always allow a lot of flexibility for people to grow. And so let's say that I'm, I don't know. I'm going to pick Diogo Jota. I don't really know why, but that's who I'm going with. Like, um, you know, he's viewed a certain way when he's part of like a front four group with Mane and Bobby Firmino and Mo, and then he's there. But, you know, now he's kind of like the second most senior person in that group. He's been around the longest. Like, um, he might see his talents and skills differently compared to the group now. There's going to be a new chance for him to come forward in those sort of ways, maybe be a louder voice or just be, um, you know, there might be things he's recognized about his game for a long time that he feels weren't really recognized or foregrounded with these other people there. So now um, there's enough turnover that it gives him a chance to be something a little bit different too, to show something that maybe he's seen that other people haven't seen. Yeah, and I suppose kind of building on that then, as a new player coming in, so we have Subozlai and we have McAllister coming in and they're both highly regarded. Um, they're both players that have got the fans very excited. And at the level that they're at, they're going to probably be very confident in their ability. They're going to be quite confident in how they'll be able to contribute to the team. But when you're coming into a new group that don't know you, yes, they're going to know them from TV, but they won't necessarily know how to interact with them, what type of person they are. Is there going to be challenges there um, for them trying to... Sorry, I'll rephrase that. Do you think that they could start to look at, well, I can paint myself as the picture of this person and this type of player, or... Do you, would you think that they will lean into their strengths specifically and go, guys, this is what I'm good at, but I'm very adaptable in these areas over here? I would hope the second. And I, but I think the other thing too is like, um, and I'd actually be really interested to hear from Tim on the management side of this too. Like when you have someone coming in who you see is talented in certain ways and you want them to do certain things. You know, you might, when they're coming in, I'm sure Klopp is going to say, here's the things we see and here's the things we want from you. And I think if there's then these other things that that person knows that they're good at, um, you know, how do you kind of bring both? Because the expectations matter too. You don't always get to do 100% of what you feel you should be valued for, right? Sometimes like the role you're given in a group might force you to compromise a little bit, but it just can't be too much. Um, yeah, my thought is, they're going to know their strengths and have some sense of those. They seem like those kind of players, but then also hopefully that's one of the first thing the management group is doing and the leadership group is doing is saying, here's what we see. Here's what we need for you. And then also giving them a chance to add if there's some things that they think they can do too. But I also think it's just really disorienting sometimes like with identity, we underestimate the extent to which that's contextual. And so like, 
you know, if I'm with this certain group, I'm with Leipzig for three years and a lot of the players there are sort of the same or the people there know me, the staff there know me, you know, part of how I know myself is in relation to how they treat me, the strengths that they see. Like there's a, an assumption that we share of like kind of who I am and what I'm about. And then you show up in a totally new group and you don't know how people are going to react to you. So that can be kind of disorienting, especially if you're a younger person, which both of them are to show up someone brand new and just walk in and be like, well, here's who I am. And this is what I'm like. And this is what I'm good at. Like maybe once you're an older player and you've done it a few times, but um, yeah, there's, it's just, it's, it's all about communication. Yeah. So it's all about communication. Yeah. And Tim, I'll come to you. So I suppose as somebody who has been part of building teams, you know, you're going to be hiring people and you're going to see things in those people that you think they can contribute to improve the overall effectiveness of the team. Have you come across challenges in integrating people into existing teams and helping them find a, their place within those teams? And what what are some of the techniques you would use to try and support that integration? Yeah, so uh, definitely. And um, I mean, I, I know you guys have uh, frameworks, so I think it's time to bring up a framework. And I think... Uh, Probably we should think about this from the from the group level or the group psychology level. And I think a really useful framework for this is uh, Susan Whelan integrated model for group development. Uh, like not perfect, but I think it kind of paints the sort of how how that works. Because many of the things that you spoke about, there like you want the player to come in, for example, and you want them to show their strengths. But that's also an area of, of conflict. Is there another player there that already does that thing? Like Soberslai comes in, great at set pieces, but there's Trent already. Okay, is that going to start being an area of conflict instead? Like, okay, why why can't I do the things that I do? Why can't I use my skills? And does that become a, I don't know, a part of jealousy instead of uh, trust and uh, and combination? Uh, but kind of back to the framework then, like how do you bridge this? And and there uh, the way. The way you can think about it is that groups um, kind of go through a few stages in order to be able to perform. Like you can't plug someone in day one and just like, okay, do your thing. It will work perfectly. Like maybe if your job is extremely simple, maybe Rory the Lab at Stoke, you can just like, okay, go go do your throw-ins and just stay out of the way. But if you want something more out of someone, you need to make sure that, okay, does this work in a cohesive way? Does this person start doing other people's jobs? Uh, like, do they, I don't know, uh, in a, in a business sense, like, do they, I don't know, not, uh, hand over task to people or in a, in a football sense, like, do they uh, become reluctant to pass certain people just because they don't trust that the person will keep the ball or whatever? Uh, and the, the steps that you can kind of think about is that I think they're, they're called something like, uh, forming, norming, storming, performing. So that there, these are the kind of steps that you need to go through. So, so first you just need to kind of set the ground rules for the, for the group. You just need to form the group like, okay, hello, this is my name. This is my shoe size. Just like, what are the basic things? Like the absolutely non-sensitive things. So you just get to know who the people around you are and, and like, uh, and also just what are the base rules for how you behave? Like, okay, we, we show up at, for this meeting at this time. Uh, we don't like people being late. Uh, you have the signature in your email or whatever. Uh, or like you always show up for, 
breakfast and we had breakfast together, like I think it's the Liverpool way. So like these kind of ground rules for just what are the routines of how, how we do things. And that's the first, the first step of just setting that kind of safety layer because what that gives you is also that everyone in the group can kind of feel like, well, okay, we, we all know the rules. We're all behaving to the same rules. And, and like, as long as I do that, like I can kind of feel safe in that. Uh, and you start by doing that. Uh, and people start getting comfortable. Uh, and as soon as people start being comfortable, that also means that they will start like not only saying the, the polite things and like saying yes to something they actually don't believe in. They will also start like, okay, but why? Why, why do we do this? So you come into this second phase where people might start questioning things. Um, and, uh, and like that's where really the kind of the, the manager really needs to come in and facilitate like, okay, can we have constructive discussions around this? Why are, like, why is Trent on set pieces and why can't Soboslai come in and take them over? Well, because like that's his role or he does them great or we already know the routines or whatever. Uh, just so that kind of you, you can have those conflicts and you want to have conflicts with these steps because that's the next thing that allows people to be uh, to be secure in the role where they know that well I can raise my voice I can say no to something and I will be heard for my opinions but I will still be accepted uh, and there's a way forward from that and like during that phase you start finding the ways that that your group kind of solves conflicts how do you behave in those situations which kind of leads you yeah which is the the norming step and then you would go over to the kind of performing step. And that's the way that I would think about it both in, like, in, uh, in a business setting, but also, well, if, if I were to, uh, to take over a, a football club during the transfer window, that's how I would think about it. And I think when you get new people coming in, uh, to an existing group, that's both an opportunity and a risk because you, as a manager, I think you want the culture to continue evolving and changing because a culture that stays the same very easily becomes stale. Like it becomes routine. It becomes the same old stuff. And like you, you get a lack of energy from it. Like you, you want the group to energize each other. Uh, and I think even more so in a football instance, you, you want the people there to energize each other. And especially like you, you want to have a heightened state during matches where you, uh, like you feedback off each other and you reflect that energy off each other. Um, so, and the opportunity and the risk is, is like the opportunity is that, well, the new people will, will be able to come in and, and start changing and, and evolving the, uh, both the culture, but also the norms of the group, uh, both from being from different nationalities, but also just being different persons. Uh, but the risk is, of course, that you, first of all, like, do you integrate them correctly? And what I would, what I would think in, in a, like, uh, in a situation like this is that, Every time a group, like there's a minor change to a group, you should assume that you start from, from zero and like you, you make sure that you actually, uh, get people on board from the start. Because for the new people, that's definitely like, that's definitely it. They don't know the norms. They don't know all the routines and they are, they are the risky kind of area. They are the, the part that can blow up in both in terms of frustration, but also uh, in terms of the of kind of disrupting disrupting the rules for the group, and I think it's it's also very easy for the existing group to 
maybe not accept the the new people in the group if it's not done properly. Uh, so I would always assume like you start from from zero um, in that situation. Yeah, I think you've covered that really well, and I think it's something that the forming, st- storming, norming, performing uh, is something that everybody or a lot of people who's who've worked with organizations and teams will have experienced or have knowledge of anyway. And it's it's so true, and I think that's why it's one of the most effective. Uh, techniques to acknowledge and I, I think that's one of the important pieces and it's essential that there is the acknowledgement of it when it's happening because otherwise if we don't so as a, a management team if there are challenges which there probably will be it needs to be named there needs to be a space where people can discuss what's going on for them on a personal level but also how they're feeling in terms of fitting into that whole group dynamic and, and and where they sit within it. So it is essential that that is the case. And interestingly enough, I was working with a couple of high-level underage rugby players um, yesterday. And they were talking about, you know, new players coming in to, to the fold because there's all, it's a development squad. So there are always new people coming in who are doing well. And we were talking about how they react to mistakes happening. And one of them said, I just don't pass the ball to the new guy if I don't trust him. And that's something that is very easily um, done again and again, no matter what level you're at. So absolutely. And I've spoken to high-level professionals who said the same, that if there was somebody there they don't trust, they may be more reluctant to give them the ball. And for any new player coming in, that could be frustrating. That could be challenging because you know how good you are. But like Andrew said, you might be asked to do a role that's different or doesn't highlight your strengths. And these other guys have to trust you in order for the whole mechanism to start to work. So one of the techniques I was using with the the two lads was the um, from CBT, the ABC model, which is about looking at the activating event. So we have something that's triggering us. So our, our colleague makes a mistake. And then we look at what are own, my own negative beliefs about that. This guy can't be trusted. We are um, under pressure that if our team doesn't do well, then I don't look good. And if I don't look good, then I might not get picked. And if I don't get picked, then my career might be on the line. And then you look at what are the negative consequences of having those beliefs. And that's, well, I don't pass him the ball. (laughs) Or I turn around and bollock him out of it when he makes a mistake, even though he's brand new. Or I turn around and bitch about him to the rest of the lads and go, he's no good. Let's just isolate them. And then what we do is we look at the alternative beliefs you could have about the situation. So it's, well, okay, does everybody make a mistake? Does every play go the way you hope? No, it doesn't. Do you make mistakes in matches? Yes, I do. Okay, maybe this person just made a mistake. Maybe they're nervous. Maybe what they actually need is an arm put around them by one of their teammates rather than getting a bollocking. And that then changes how you view. So the alternative consequences are then that you actually consciously engage with the person and you start to let them build that trust. And the 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 guy who said that he wouldn't pass the ball was like, so that makes perfect sense. 
And I said, well, I know it makes perfect sense, but <laughs> it's in the moment, in the, the stress moment, it's very easy for it to make sense sitting in a room talking to somebody where we're not actually in that space. But when you're at that high level and you're in the middle of a match, you don't have time to go through an ABC in your head and go, okay, let's see what might be happening for this guy. Because especially when you're playing rugby, somebody who is, you know, 120 kilos is about to take the head off you. So there is no time to react. So it's so important for us to start to look at one, the group dynamic, but how we manage ourselves within that group dynamic. And Andrew, I'm going to come to you because I'd love to get your take on what myself and Tim have just been talking about. Hello. I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, I mean, like, I think the forming, storming, norming, and performing is, like, definitely a model that, like, I'm familiar with. And, like, I think it's not, on the one hand, like, it's not always the way I conceptualize other than, like, um, I spend a lot of time focusing on how do you build a culture that supports vulnerability and open communication to communicate hard things, but also communicate and reinforce positive things. Um, both of which actually, I think in a lot of sport cultures are really difficult. Sometimes actually there's a better culture of giving someone a hard time when they mess something up than it, people aren't always good at giving a lot of positive reinforcement. And so I think actually, as I was listening, one of my thoughts was like, um, rather than focusing on storming, I create a culture that allows for productive storming. Um, I know like, so when I was going through my graduate program, um, a lot of people, there was like an adventure course kind of thing, like high ropes and like challenge things for groups. And like, there was a class you could take where you could learn all about how to facilitate that. And I didn't take that class, but like a lot of my peers did and they would like facilitate groups there all the time. And so the way they did storming in that was like, you had like a six hour pro or like a four hour program with a group you'd be much more intentional about creating activities that would cause a storm, right? That was one of the things you would try to do. How do we frustrate this group? And so we put them in vivo into this um, situation of storming and so that we can help them work through that. That's something I'm like debating right now. Like I've got like, I think I've got four hours with this group that I'm planning for. And so like, I like, do I want to push them a little bit? Um, because it does create that opportunity, but that's not always something I do. I think normally, because like Tim hearing you talk, like what you're saying is like storming is going to happen on its own. Like we don't need to create a storm. And I think especially in a business environment, like, you know, like you might not have, if you're not taking specific time to like, I've got one hour to make this storm and another 30 minutes to really process it and help everyone learn from it. 
you know, then like how productively can you create a storm? Um, but that, that's one of my big thoughts. And, um, yeah, like I, I think creating that culture that supports vulnerability, that's the biggest one. And I think it's really funny. I regularly use therapy, family interventions with groups like teams that I work with. And often like, um, a lot of it's from, like this approach, collaborative language therapies, which comes out of a, a family therapy, like a postmodern constructivist family therapy approach, which is really focused on creating shared meaning and exploring meaning within the group and um, all about communication and how do you create communication. It's funny because like um, you've basically like I'll go into a room full of these, I don't know, 19 to 23 year old, like pretty tough ice hockey players and um you know we'll do these essentially family therapy interventions although i don't know that like i don't tell them up front typically that it's a family therapy intervention and um yeah they love it and it's amazing to see them open up and be more vulnerable and like it's amazing to see too like really regularly one of the things i'll do and it kind of goes in line with that valuing other people for what we value about ourselves is like you know you start by maybe writing down a couple things that you feel like you've done well or a couple things that you're working on, but like um, then you get in a group of three and the other two people give you feedback about the things they think you do really well. Maybe I'll have the, the prompt be like one thing you appreciate about this person's game, one thing you think they need to do more of and one thing you think they would benefit from changing and getting that real feedback from these players. One, it's super vulnerable for you. Usually I do it. The family therapy part of it is, um, like, let's say it were the three of us. And so Al was up. Tim and I would talk about Al as if Al weren't there. And so we're going to, Tim and I are going to have this conversation about what we think Al's strengths are, um, what we think he could do more of that he's good at, but he, we would like to see more. And one thing that, um, maybe he would benefit from changing and how we see that coming up. Um, it gives that third person a chance to just listen. They don't have to actively take the feedback. They don't have to respond to it. They can just hear it and soak it in. And then they get a chance to respond afterwards. So if Al then wants to turn around to me and Tim and say, you suck like that, you're totally wrong or say thank you, whatever, probably you'll say thank you because Tim and I will have all sorts of great insightful things for you. Um, but so often the way those guys walk away from that exercise is feeling so seen, feeling heard, feeling excited, feeling connected. Um, and that kind of exercise can be really powerful and creates a better, it lays a foundation to skill wise for storming in the future, because that's the kind of open communication. Normally we think like, Oh, Al drops this ball or Al keeps doing this thing or Al never shows up to, uh, you know, before the game, he like slacks off on his stretches or after the game, he's slacking off on his cool downs. And like, so someone's, going to come at you and like in a way that's maybe more aggressive. Whereas like one thing that you need to change also lays the foundation for how do I communicate something in a way that's going to be received better in the future helps them learn what are some alternatives for giving feedback and how does that feedback then feel and why is it so important? And so that's, that's the kind of thing that I do a lot of that I think probably does help with that um, storming and norming and then performing phases a lot um, but not necessarily always in a way where I'm so directly like, let me create the storm, facilitate like a debrief of that situation so that we can take lessons from the mini storm. Yeah, but I, 
I mean, I totally agree. I think, uh, as you say, the the storms, they will come no matter what you do. So that's just like a matter of acceptance. Is rather, how do I prepare for that? Uh, and I mean, the interesting thing is that I, I don't do the family therapy thing, but I would approach it exactly the same way. Like you need to start practicing and especially mm-hmm. on the vulnerability side. So so you start start by something easy and then you escalate. Uh, like a, a typical exercise that I like to start with is that you, you do something that everyone is bad at. That's like a good, good starting point. So, so everyone gets like uh, 15 minutes to paint a self portrait with all the things that they think is important in their lives. Uh, for example, and like, of course, nobody does like a beautiful portrait then. Uh, so everyone can laugh a bit and, and like you do something that you wouldn't typically do. And then you kind of go from there so that when the storms come, you are in a place where you are able to handle them. Because I think it takes a, like a, a hell of a manager to, uh, to handle like those uncontrollable storms. I think also I'm a steal that self portrait. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, I think it's I also. Like you can see a lot of, like a lot of hints of that. I think, uh, not during the trans window. I think that the, the typical one that I would think of is the, the kind of initiation, uh, singing a song. Like that would be exactly the same thing. Like that's how I would frame it. Okay. Everyone needs to do something in order to show some vulnerability where everybody already accepts that. Well, it's going to be bad. So, uh, so like we do it in order to just show that we, we can do that in front of the other people. Side note, have you ever seen the big Dutch striker from United? There's a video of him singing. No. You have to look it up. He has an unbelievable Really? Voice. Like, just out of nowhere. You would never expect it. And it's like, it's this unbelievable, like, R&B voice. Like, super <laughs> smooth. Like, worth mentioning on this podcast, even though it's a total deviation. But, uh, yeah, I can't think of his name. V- Veghorst. But you know Veghorst? Yes, that's the guy sings like an angel. Vegor sings like an angel. But I, I, you know, I, I do like the, the thought process there, Tim, around the vulnerability and Andrew, like you were saying as well, because we're actually dealing with a, a cultural sport where vulnerability is not easily uh, accepted and engaged in. And I think the problem socially and in society is that we do see vulnerability as weakness, but it's actually not because if we are able to be vulnerable with ourselves and with, with others, well, then we can improve. Without that sense of vulnerability, what we do is we try and hide the things that we're not good at or things that we're not as confident in. And by hiding it, we're, we're actually taking ourselves out of the, the automaticity, like Andrew, you've spoken about a lot, and we're going into the head. And at the level that these guys are playing at, when we go onto a pitch, we don't have time to be worrying about the things we're not good at. And if you're going into a match going, oh shit, I'm in this position that I'm not used to and I feel really uncomfortable, there just isn't that room for mistakes. And there isn't the room among the fans. So if we look at our fans, you know, a lot of them would bin off Joe Gomez or Joel Matup today because, you know, they're not performing at the level that we're used to them at. But the two lads have played so little football over the last 12 months that 
it does take like match fitness, match uh, alertness, match practice is so important for us to be able to not think about things that we are used to it. And then we've bringing in new players as well. So it's something that's very important for us to, as fans, I think, is to give that space to people to actually grow. Like Andy Robertson, you go into our transfer chat on the Discord and everyone's like, Robbo needs to go because he can't play left centre back. Well, we actually don't know that because he's only tried it a handful of times. <laughs> Maybe he could be a phenomenal left centre back if he has a year of it under his belt and it just gets, it, it becomes norm for, normal for him. So I think as fans, maybe if we can give that space, which I doubt we will because we all just want success and uh, everything that comes with that. But it's it's very, very important. And Andrew, like you're going to be working with teams now. Is that responsibility placed on your shoulders to build that team? Or is it placed on, are you coming in as a, a as a little extra, not to, sorry, let me rephrase that. Coming in as a highly uh, effective extra to the overall management team to add to what they're trying to do, or you've been brought in to implement something that they can then build on top of. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super-fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Um, did I just mute myself or unmute? Unmute, okay. Um, this year, a little different. So this, this is a group that I've worked with for a long time, but haven't always done their team building. Like they've had someone else be doing it in the past. And so like I asked to be doing it this year. So I think with that being the case, there's probably a greater expectation than what there would normally be. But I'm definitely really cognizant about putting systems in place. So I do consult with this group through the years. So there's an extent to which like I can be hands on and maintaining some of the different things that I'm putting into place. Um, and so that is really helpful because I know I can get those things started and I'll have a chance to continue them. Um, and so it's, you know, I can play an ongoing role in the team building aspect where it doesn't, it's not something I have to totally be handing back over to management and their leadership group and that sort of stuff. Um, but to whatever extent possible, I want it to be something where the leadership group especially can maintain most of it and where they can be really on top of that. And the group becomes self-sustaining. It's like you're building, 
you're building habits. You want to build a culture and you want to build habits that are going to lead to the long-term success of the group. And then I consult in a way that helps them maintain that culture and maintain those habits and sort of navigate different storming things as they come up and challenges as they come up. Um, but definitely like you want it to be, you want the group to be self-sustaining. I think that that's definitely the goal is like you come in and you think about like, you know, I can't, you know, if I want there to be a culture of vulnerability and communication, but the only time they're having vulnerable communication is when we're doing some sort of exercise or having some sort of meeting, then I wouldn't consider myself successful in that because I'm not giving them any sort of transferable skill or habit. Maybe the main, the sessions we have are good, but like, that's, that's just maintenance. Like I want this to be something that they're doing between sessions that they're building between sessions. And part of that also means being really concrete about, you know, when, when I do that exercise I mentioned before, um, you know, part of it's going to be the exercise. And there's all these things that I'm saying, well, implicitly they're learning communication skills. Implicitly they're practicing vulnerability. They're practicing accepting criticism, right? Um, not just leaving that totally implicit, but doing some sort of debrief on the oversight overall exercise where we can talk about, you know, what was it like to get this feedback and hear that? How often are you getting this feedback? What's something that you can do moving forward to make sure your teammates are getting this feedback or to ask for this kind of feedback. And so, you know, really prompting, here's the exercise, but also what are the concrete takeaway skills that you can adopt and how do you do that? And then I think the reality is with most of these teams, like you're going to have a third of people who maybe take that really seriously and like take those and actually ask for that feedback or do that feedback. You're going to have a group that's sort of in the middle and a group that just like isn't going to carry those forward. They'll get what they get from the exercise, but they're not going to actively do it. Sometimes it's a vulnerability thing too, right? Like it's safe when I'm creating an environment and everyone has to have one of these conversations, but then to go to one of your teammates and say, Hey, what do you think about how I did this can still feel a little too vulnerable. So I guess the answer is a little bit of both this year with this particular group that I'm planning for at the moment. Yeah. And I think I'm actually putting together, I might steal what you're doing. I'm putting together a, a program for a team that I would do some work with as well. Uh, not a, a sports team, a business team. And uh, I, I went and I, I spoke to them all um, in different pockets around what they would hope to get from it. And within five minutes, you could see this group were saying, well, if we need to talk about the problems that might be lying in the other group. And the other group were going, yeah, we need to talk about the problems that might be lying in the other group. And... I was very explicit in this is not going to be a bitching session. This is going to be about how each of you individually can start to take responsibility for your part in the overall culture. And I think that's really important in terms of looking at the values that we have as a team. And I think it's important for Klopp to be able to sit down with the players and look, and, and look at, right, we have a new leadership group here. Do we have new values in place? And it's not about... Do we want to win the league? Do we want to win the Champions League? It's about what is, what is the purpose of, of us? What are our values that are important to us as a group that will help us bring the implicit success, which is to win the league and win the Champions League? But how are you as an individual going to feed into that, not just with your skill base, but on a cultural level? And I'm really excited to see how this new leadership group works. And I'd love to be a fly on the wall throughout the season to see, does it 
does it work well because they will have their own forming, storming, norming and performing as well as a leadership group. So it's going to be fascinating to see. And results won't be the the overall uh, snapshot of whether that works or not, which as fans we could assume that, okay, well, if if we're winning, well, then this leadership group are working really effectively. But if we're losing, this leadership group is terrible and it's not working at all. That's not going to be the case. So we may never know what it's like. And that's... <laughs> That's just one of those things that's, that's a part of life as a, as a football fan. But to kind of wrap this up, and it's been a fascinating conversation. Like, Tim, for you, like on a personal level, uh, as a manager and, and somebody who's been building teams, do you have any really, really high successes and any really, really low uh, disasters that you can kind of share with us? Not the specifics, but what do you think it was made the success, the really, really high success and the low, the really, really low? Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, the the first, I don't know, two, maybe three years of uh, being a manager, I was definitely a lot worse at at doing what i'm doing uh and i think i mean it, it's it's like any skill you need practice you you need to be conscious and you need to you need to learn it so like i think i i don't have any like crazy blow-up stories to tell you but but i i think the typical story would be that well uh yeah people didn't like their job and they quit basically um and i think that like People get tired of the situation. Uh, that's that's a lot of, uh, and also that like relationships, like work relationships. Really, you could see that things became strained. Like these are people that you, like, oh, I need I, I need to walk past this person at the water cooler again, and it, everything becomes frosty. Those type of relationships, and I think it's it very easily happens. Uh, but I think the the kind of success cases. Uh, yeah, I think I uh, I came into um, uh, a few years ago. I I came into a new situation where where there was a company that has been growing really fast from like four people to uh, thirty people in the span of uh, about a year and a half. Uh, and I came into that and uh, took over like six direct reports and a few other people uh, uh, below that. And we hired like thirty five more people in the in the year after. And, and there was like a lot of turmoil, like uh, that kind of the, the storming that will happen no matter what. And uh, there was a lot of that. Uh, and I think, yeah, I mean, a, a lot of what we have spoken about, it was just, okay, how do we kind of start over? Let's start from the basics. And I think one of the learnings is like, it's never too late to start over. You can just like, okay, let's build. Uh, and I think the other, lesson as well is that you need to start from the top like okay do leadership believe in this okay do we build a strong group there okay are they really really trusting each other are they able to like cry on each other's shoulders then their teams will be trusting of each other as well um and i think like probably what what i would take from that also like into into what we just spoke about is that I think you you cannot underestimate how strong a force group psychology is on individuals in a group. That like when 
yeah, like speaking of the Joe Gomez situation, like if if he doesn't have that strong strong sense of uh, of cohesion from from the group, uh, like the direct group that is in, which is not the transfer chat, but but rather the the other players. Like then that will that will like uh, by far supersede anything that he hears from the outside. But if that group is not strong, like then there is nothing to fall back on. Um, yeah, and, and and I think that's probably where I would take it. Yeah, that's really really important. To and and you would hope that the the leadership group are working with that uh, with those players around that to try and remind them of that. And Andrew, I suppose any closing thoughts from you in relation to this whole process? Yeah, I think like one of the biggest things I haven't had a chance to mention yet is um, the extent to which feeling like your teammates are there to be of service to you and you're there to be of service to your teammates creates a culture for sacrifice. And I think so often we focus on, um, you know, how do we build a group that sacrifices for each other? And we don't always think about how do I, we don't, we think about how do we get individuals to sacrifice for the team, but we don't always think about how is the team also sacrificing for those individuals. And one of the highest predictors of, um, you know, someone being willing to put their own stuff aside so that they'll put the group first is their belief that the team is going to put them first. And so, Ali, you talked about like the rugby players, right? And like the number one predictor probably of like that person thinking like, oh, I'm going to pass this other guy the ball would be the extent to which he feels trusted by everyone else and he's going to get the ball. And as soon as you start with those cracks of, okay, I'm sacrificing for this person, but not this person, or this person's really focused on themselves, you create like an arms race where all of a sudden everyone feels like they need to close up and focus on themselves in this different way. And so when you can really maintain, like I like to focus a lot on something called servant leadership, which is like kind of this framework that's really focused on, you know, creating leaders who are actually highly focused on being of service to the people around them to get the most out of them. Um, and really being sort of like, rather than focusing on what do we need and where do I need to go and what's next, really looking at, the people around you and thinking, what do they need from me and how can I get the best out of them? And um, when you can get a group that's all doing that together, like you can create a huge amount of willingness to sacrifice for each other because people are so willing to sacrifice if they think everyone around them is going to sacrifice for them. And that's, it's a tricky one to build because it's not really cooked into the culture of sport. It's actually not cooked into the culture of much of anything, <laughs> to be honest with you. So um, like, but I think that's a really, really cool one. Sometimes what I, one thing I did a few years ago, and I'm not, to be honest, sure exactly how it played out or how well it worked. Cause I wasn't able to follow up on it, how I want, but you know, the start of the season, each player on the team filled out an index card that had some of their goals on it for the season, like a personal goal, a team goal, and like their dream for like where they wanted to end up in the sport. Um, and then each week, you know, when they started the week, they would hand those cards off. And so like someone new would get that card. And then like, let's say I had, you know, Tim's card this week. One of the things on my mind should be, how am I of service to Tim this week? Like, what's one thing I can do to help him accomplish his goals? Can I give him a piece of feedback? Can I stay late after practice and help him work on something? Can I just be encouraging to him um, and go out of my way? And then, you know, in moments where things get hard, they would hang those in their locker stall. 
Um, and so, you know, like they think about that person during the week of practice and kind of get in the habit of part of what I'm playing for is my teammates. Um, and so I don't know how that, I know they continued to pass the cards through the season. So it's like they didn't give up on it. At least I know that, but I, I was never really able to find out a ton about how that played out. But I think really just like culture of sacrifice and being of service to the people around you is something I focus on a lot too. And maybe the process is the important piece and not the outcome. So whether it was success or not, they kept it going. So that's where the success lies in the process. Well, Andrew, Tim, guys, thank you so much for your contribution to this podcast. Tim, thanks for bringing the original, the original question to us and for joining us. We are delighted that you took the time out of your day to come and chat to us and bring lots of new insight as well, which I'm sure the listeners have enjoyed. Um, and, uh, Andrew, we'll be back again very soon. Listeners. If you're not subscribers, please sign up as always, because there is tons and tons of new stuff coming ahead of the new season, which we're all really excited for. And a lot of people are, a lot of trepidation for it. <laughs> if you read the transfer uh, channel on the uh, Discord, but uh, until the next time, look after yourselves. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.